Welcome to Two Guys, One Book, where two friends tackle their reading list one book at a time. Welcome, everybody, to Two Guys, One Book. I am one of your co-hosts, Brian, and I'm joined, as always, by Tim. Tim. Today, we are discussing The Pioneers, the heroic story of the settlers who brought the American ideal west by David McCullough. And I picked it, Brian. It's a Brian Pick certified, super fresh. Uh, but honestly, I was a little disappointed. Um, why, why did you pick it? Why did I pick it? Because it's about Ohio. I live in Ohio. I was born and raised in Ohio. I'm a Buckeye through and through. And I'm a land surveyor, and which adds another layer to this because Ohio, being the first state established in the Northwest Territory, uh, is where they experimented on the different ways to divvy up the land. Because, you know, unfortunately for the Native Americans, there was no clear home land uh, ownership prior to Americans moving west. And so they had all this, quote unquote, empty land that they could just divvy up and sell and, and whatnot. So Ohio is surveyed in a variety of different ways. But then Indiana, Illinois, and all the other states going west we're all surveyed the exact same way because they figured out the best way to do it in Ohio. I think as a surveyor, too, I remember one part of the book that I didn't think about, which was that surveyors were at a lot of risk uh, because of the Native Americans seeing them as like these people trying to help the settlers expand west. Right. So they were kind of living in a pretty dangerous uh, industry (laughs) or line of work. Right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And like the surveying parties back in the day could easily be like dozens of people. It wasn't like, you know, just two people out there with a, with a chain and, and taking measurements. No, this was like a whole like campsite of people who were clearing line and taking measurements and some soldiers for protection and all that stuff. Now, I just know that because I know a little bit of surveying history. Now, David McCullough doesn't really go into specifics of the surveying party, um, but ultimately, to answer your question, I picked this book because it's about Ohio. And I know David McCullough. I never read a, any of his other books, uh, but I know he's a very popular author uh, when it comes to American history. So I figured I'd give this one a try. So you're from Ohio. You live in Ohio. You just want to read books about Ohio because uh, that's right. There's some. <laughs> I don't need to venture anything anywhere further. I, don't, <laughs> I never cross the Ohio River. I don't go into northern Kentucky. Cincinnati has everything I need. <laughs> no i think uh, it's interesting because being from ohio too like you learn more about the history of a place and like how it developed and came to be so maybe you get more appreciation for it or develop like a different perspective so i i think that aspect of it is good but overall you said you you weren't impressed with this book or you didn't love it maybe maybe i'm just not the biggest fan of historical nonfiction because you know it's a lot of like so-and-so was born in Connecticut in 1786, you know, and he then, you know, traveled to Ohio in these years, and he wrote letters back home to his folks saying how Ohio was great and all this stuff. And it's like, I don't know. I mean, I felt like at times it just didn't captivate me. Um, and so I read it very slowly, and, and it just, like, there was, you know, a lot of names and different characters so if I read one chapter and then put it down for a week and then come back a week later, I'm like, oh, shoot, who is that person again? It's like, you know, it didn't it didn't grab me by the uh, by the collar and say, hey, this is what exciting stuff. But that's just me. Yeah, 
I no, I feel pretty similarly. I think like it was kind of a slog because he gets into this minutia of these people's lives and the details and yeah, lots of characters to keep track of. Um, I definitely enjoyed some aspects of this book, but yeah, all those details made it a little less enjoyable or captivating for me as well. So, but who are the main characters and stuff? Do you want to like get into that? Yeah, yeah. So like, I mean, ultimately the synopsis of this book is basically just who are the pioneers that that David McCullough focused on that settled in Ohio and and made Ohio their home and then continued, uh, you know, the development of Ohio. One of them was General Rufus Putnam, a rev- revolutionary war veteran. Um, he didn't really focus on him a whole lot, but he Rufus Putnam was like the first guy to actually like take control of Marietta and like helped like lead some sort of organized colony there. Um, but the, I guess the main first guy he talked about was Manassas Cutler in Massachusetts. Manassas Cutler helped get Congress to approve the Northwest uh, uh, Ordinance, which established certain uh, guidelines for states in the Northwest Territory, including like uh, no, no slavery in the Northwest ordinance, ordinance and focusing on education and that kind of thing. But Manassas Cutler only visited Ohio. He never lived in Ohio. Um, but then Manassas Cutler, Manassas' son, Ephraim Cutler, moved to Ohio and became a very prominent state senator. Then eventually, I think, a U.S. congressman. I think so. But anyway, I think so, yeah. Yeah. But Ephraim Cutler was very important, uh, was very um, influential in the state uh, government of Ohio. Because even after the Northwest Ordinance banned slavery from being established in the Northwest Territory, Ohio was debating whether or not that, and Ephraim Cutler led the was very influential in making sure Ohio remained a, a, a state that did not have slavery. So he was, um, and then like, there's other characters like Dr. Samuel Hildreth, who uh, was the main, the most popular doctor in Marietta and helped and would ride on horseback for miles and miles into the wilderness to see uh, other fam- you know, families that need help. And then Dr. Hildreth was also very, accomplished artist and he would write he would create these uh drawings of butterflies and other natural insects and flowers and plants that found in ohio um and then there was um i think joseph barker was another one he focused on a little bit who built ships and houses and helped you know marietta boom become a booming town but it was interesting he focused so much on marietta uh which i think was you know the reason was marietta ohio was the first uh established colony in Ohio or, or city in Ohio. Um, and then, uh, you know, that's where most of the settlers uh, stopped uh, who first went to Ohio because it's at the mouths of, uh, it's at the mouth of the Muskingum river in Southeast Ohio, right where the Muskingum river meets the Ohio river. So that's why Marietta was uh, so uh, important there. But then eventually, you know, Cincinnati grew, um, Chillicothe was the first capital, but then Columbus eventually grew and Cleveland was growing on the Lake Erie. So like he, he mentioned other cities, but didn't really focus on them like he quite like he did in Marietta, which I found was interesting. Something also interesting about Marietta, I didn't know, was that it was named after Marie Antoinette because of her role in helping uh, persuade the French to support the American or the colonies to defeat the British. And I didn't realize how like much she was recognized for that. Um, so that was pretty cool bit of history that's a good bit of trivia because like you wouldn't think uh yeah uh americans naming cities after french people for whatever reason but that is a good reason because they were instrumental in helping us in the revolutionary war for sure right um but and i 
I listened to an interview with um, David McCullough, and he was talking about how, like, um, he thought some people got overlooked in, like, American history, or there are lots of, like, I don't know if you want to say heroes, but, like, you know, influential influential people who helped develop, like, the country who maybe haven't gotten really recognized. And I thought Manasseh, Manasseh Cutler is pretty interesting because he had this, like, kind of pure, puritanical background in the sense he was, like, this, like, he focused a lot on like working, but also like education. And he was like had a physician background. And then, um, yeah, he was very anti-slavery, which, um, you know, helped make that keep that out of Ohio, which was like, uh, you know, super important. And, and, you know, in the development of like leading up to the Civil War, just how the historical arc of like the uh, states and stuff. So, yeah, I just thought he was an interesting uh, person to to kind of follow. But I got a little lost in the details of the other characters that he covered. Yeah, yeah agreed. I mean, and, and, you know, I don't know. I mean, maybe because these are these are people that we don't know that well, that we aren't taught about in history class in high school, that makes it harder to follow. Like if somebody write, is writing about the founding fathers or other maybe more ancillary characters that we also heard about in school it gives us a, a an easier route to learn more about them you know what i mean mm-hmm. yeah i think one, one other takeaway from this book is like how much life changed in their lifetimes in what's depicted here because it starts with cutler going to philadelphia trying to like meet high profile people and convince them to like support this ohio company expedition and so they just very gradually like kind of get people or like i guess it's kind of quickly they get people to sign up for it and then more and more people start moving out that way and then you have like it covers the development of like the steam engine and how that changed like transportation and then these events like the war of 1812 they talk about a bit and then uh things like yeah leading up to the civil war like just the state of society so like things change so much from being like one of those first frontier settlers to like throughout their lifetime right Oh, yeah, absolutely. And this book does cover like a good like 70 or 80 years, you know. So I think that is uh, and it's during particular moments in American history, history where we were, you know, an independent country and expanding and growing and so rapidly um, that uh, and then innovation was happening rapidly as well, because I think you're right there with the with just the the means of transportation up and down the Ohio River was just these like keel boats or or flat big long uh flat boats that they would slowly navigate up and down the river but the ohio river is massive and so then you get these massive steam steam uh river boats then that go up and down the river at like you know like what was it like 10 miles an hour and they're like oh my gosh <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah at the time it was pretty groundbreaking but now it's like yeah uh what do you think about like the native american dynamics because I thought that was pretty wild. Like at first they tried to get along and they were like treaty signed, but then things kind of got pretty ugly and, and violent, right? On both sides. Yeah. And I think, you know, that he talked about, that was when he talked the most about like what happened in Western Ohio, because I think there was like, um, I think, was it St. Clair? Uh, Arthur St. Clair, I think was the first governor of Ohio. And he was also like leading some troops up, um, uh, north, up the, great miami river i think from cincinnati mm-hmm. and then he went up the western side of ohio kind of looking for indians or looking to engage with indians and then they eventually mm-hmm. just got the the americans just got wiped out because the indians were more well uh, uh, uh 
acclimated to fighting in the wilderness. Um, and then, yeah, but then, but then that I think opened the eyes of Congress in the national government to actually fund and prepare soldiers to help protect the settlers in Ohio. And then, um, then bad things continue to happen for the Indians. Um, and, and I guess in, in those, in those kind of stories, he didn't dwell on them a whole lot, but I had flashbacks to like, um, Blood Meridian. Do you remember reading that one? Yeah. Yeah. Also pretty violent. <laughs> yes. Also pretty violent. So like the whole, yeah. Frontiersmen meeting the Indians, um, Unfortunately, it didn't work out for the Indians very well. But I mean, like Ohio, I mean, people were just coming to Ohio in droves, and like um, there's no stopping the expansion of the of the Northwest Territory. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a tough part of history to like hear about, <laughs> and the the violence depicted just sounded again on both sides like very like barbaric for being like the 1800s. It's not like recent but it's not like the stone ages but like the nature of the warfare was just very like brutal from the brief depictions he put in the book yeah so uh, uh, yeah what about did you have any like um did you have any uh preconceived notions or what did did you have you read david mccullough before uh i want to say yes but i don't remember so probably not (laughs) (laughs) like i think i have a copy of 1776 and another book that i just haven't opened but uh i don't know i guess it was more or less what i was expecting um i was hoping maybe a little bit for more narrative stuff and less like textbook type historical stuff kind of like we talked about but um but it had enough interesting like facts and tidbits that overall it's i think it's worth a read like uh just things thrown in there like the marie antoinette thing too and then uh johnny appleseed was like a real guy from like massachusetts who went to ohio and just like gave people apple seeds like that was a real person i mean not his real name but like you know johnny something right um so yeah just like characters like that he just sort of thrown in and and then you just like read or hear about it like oh hmm, that's pretty cool yeah yeah my my uh yes he did that a lot because then he also said something like like two paragraphs, he's talked about this non-assuming woman uh, got was living in Ohio, got on a boat in Cincinnati to travel up the Ohio to join her husband, who took a job at some college in New Hampshire. And this woman would go on to write one of the most influential books. It was Harriet Beecher Stowe was the person, and she was mm. about she was going to go on to write Uncle Tom's Cabin, which was helped people become more anti-slavery. Um, which Ohio was all, always anti-slavery, but she took, but when she lived in Ohio, she had, she heard accounts from uh, runaway slaves about what happened, what slave life was like. And then she used those accounts to help create the story of Uncle Tom's Cabin, which I thought was interesting, but it was like just this little two paragraph aside in the, in the book, like as you're reading about like Ephraim Cutler and what he's up to and something. And then he just goes on and talks about Harriet Beecher Stowe real quick. And then back to Ephraim from Cutler, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's a tricky balance to write. It's like he wanted to throw some things in, but also not diverge too much from the main characters, I guess. Um, but yeah, what did you think about the stuff with like Aaron Burr? He had like a whole chapter that, you know, was pretty wild. I didn't know all that history. Did you know about right? that? Right? No, I had no, about, no idea about that either. And I think that was the most fascinating chapter because to elaborate, okay. Aaron Burr, uh, you know, was the former vice president of the country, and he famously killed Alexander Hamilton. 
Um, and which, by the way, have you ever seen Hamilton? I've never seen Hamilton all the way through. Have you seen I it? have. I like loved it. Yeah. Highly recommend it. Okay. All right. I should probably watch that sometime. Is it still on Disney Plus? Uh, I think it is. Uh, if you can see it live, that would definitely be worth it. Some people think it's kind of cheesy, and it kind of is. Uh, but, you know, uh, I like it a lot, yeah. All right, cool. I'll have to see that. But anyway. I mean, it's a musical. Like, yeah. But yeah, go ahead. So, yeah. So, Aaron Burr, a year after he shoots Alexander Hamilton, he travels to Ohio. And he uh, is very popular there. He, you know, is able to talk to many important people in Ohio. And he then he starts planting seeds of, like, uh conspiracy about maybe potentially secede the west seceding from the union and becoming like the west being in this sense ohio and like the the rest of the northwest territory seceding from the, the america and becoming its own nation and he he um kind of dupes or convinces uh this rich family to kind of like support his cause in ohio in ohio the blenner hassett well we haven't talked about him yet but mm. Blennerhassets were um, husband and wife from England and Ireland, I think, that came to Ohio and then bought this island and built this big mansion on this island and it would have parties and whatnot and were very popular. And then Aaron Burr comes along and convinces them to kind of like go along with this um, kind of seceding uh, notion of uh, uh, that Ohio should be part of its own country. And then, but what happens then? Like, how does Burr gets basically uh who was thomas jefferson was the president at the time right and then jefferson eventually gets somebody to to quash that or yeah Burr. well i just thought going back to when he got there though it was interesting because like some people were really charmed by him but he kind of came off like a con man like you were saying with the that family and then some people also were like revolutionary um you know like veterans and they were huge fans of hamilton so they hated him or didn't trust him for that but yeah basically like he ends up getting accused of treason because he's like, I guess, conspiring to like, uh, <laughs> with like Spain apparently to like, um, like go into Louisiana and then become emperor of Mexico or something like potentially like <laughs> That's right. invade Mexico with like, and it's just like it seems so it sounds so outlandish, but like you know you wonder like was he just conning people to like raise money or, or like actually like did he was he like power hungry and just wanted to like explore this potential route like but he gets accused of treason and then the supreme court i guess like justice reviews the case and uh, determines he didn't actually like get a military involved so he gets um uh you know like vindicated or not but he doesn't he just get yeah he doesn't get gets acquitted but yeah still up the shady yeah. business so yeah that's yeah. that was by far my favorite chapter and it's interesting because like that's about that has a historical figure that we all know right Mm -hmm. I guess, yeah, a, a lot of um, presidents or ex-presidents like went through there, though. Like he talked about like John Adams going to Marietta and then he talked about, um, I guess, not president or even American, but like Marquis de, La de Lafayette, who was like a Revolutionary War hero and he came through. So I think there was something about like people going to the West and meeting the pioneers and sort of like having those relationships. That was kind of an, an interesting thing that people were doing. My favorite chapter uh, came a little bit after that, which was um, talking about like how people visiting depicted like the pioneers and stuff and how they saw them. So like Charles Dickens coming from, you know, London and after he's written these books and then just like 
his depiction of you hear these things about Americans that like some stereotypes that maybe even today, they're, you know, they're sort of like loud or improper, or like not super healthy and that kind of thing. <laughs> and but uh, but then he also said nice things about Cincinnati and like um, appreciated his time there. So, yeah, I enjoyed that. And like Alexis de Tocqueville uh, talking about like how they saw the developing country. And, and I thought those were interesting parts. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, that was a that was interesting to read other people's perspectives on the the growing state of Ohio as well, for sure. Yeah, but also just like the the nature of people, where like <laughs> like Charles Dickens, I think, was saying people just spat in buckets like at dinner, and like they <laughs> they were the best like conversationalists or something, and just his perspective from like English society compared to like you know American life. Yeah. Well, come on, man. I'm Lynn, I'm sure London had had so many outbreaks of cholera because they're like so close to their own waist in London. So don't give me that crap, Dickens. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of cholera in this book, though, too. Like, I feel like that was another point McCullough was trying to make is that uh, frontier life was so hard that like people are just getting sick and then you're kind of screwed if you get one of these major diseases, right? Yeah. I mean, it definitely looked like those first couple winters were pretty rough. I can't imagine. Mm -hmm. Like, so, all right, here's a question for you, Tim. You live in, you know, Revolutionary War is over. America is an, an independent nation. Hooray for us, you know. But, like, you're living in, like, Massachusetts or New Hampshire or, or something like that. And you're like, yeah, you know, this farm life is okay. Or this, you know, uh, blacksmith life is okay. But I really want to go to... Would you go to out west? Like if there was uncharted territory somewhere, you know, we don't have that today, right? Like there's no frontier today. But would you True. do that back in the day? I I wanna say yes. I would probably be one of those people who underrates how actually hard and difficult it would be and just focuses on the you know, the positives <laughs> and the nice stories you hear. Um, yeah. yeah, I think I would. What about you? Would you I would actually think I would too. Um, you know, I think it would be pretty cool to be to be some of the first, not the first. Okay, when I say first people and and to to explore a place, I don't. I know I'm that we all know that the Native Americans were there first. But like, um, no, I still think it would be cool to go out on the frontier. But like, some of the elements they had to deal with were quite uh, substantial, and, and like we didn't have indoor plumbing or heat or anything like that. So it'd be quite an ordeal. But I still feel like it would be exciting. Ultimately. yeah there'd be more highs and lows uh more stability probably if you stayed east um but then it talked about too in the book like i think it was one of cutler's sons or grandsons start went uh west for the california gold rush as that was just starting to begin so that became like the next frontier <laughs> like just keep going west yeah yeah i can't imagine like yeah you're you're because ephraim you're right ephraim cutler moved from massachusetts to ohio took his family with him and he and like I think one of his sons or daughters died on the on the trip mm -hmm. and then they he gets there oh this is another thing Ephraim Cutler's wife died but then before she dies because she's sick they know she's and she doesn't have long but she like tells her husband that she want, doesn't want him to be single for long and then she recommends somebody that he should pursue and 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 marry that other person do, do you remember that part of the book? Yeah. Isn't that wild? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think back then it was just all about like what's best for like, <laughs> you know, having a stable life or something. It wasn't 
I don't think the partnerships were as emotionally based, probably, or that kind of thing, right? Like, they're just trying to survive. <laughs> That's true. I can't imagine then, like, all right, so he's one of, one of his kids then. He's like, my dad, born in Massachusetts, moved to Ohio on this frontier, but there's gold in California, so I'm going to travel to California. So maybe he's just thinking, like, oh, that's what, that's what people do. My dad traveled from New England to Ohio, and so I can go to California, right? I guess so. But then he died, like. Yeah. I mean, that's the risk of taking that chance, I guess. But it's just in some people's genes. Didn't he die of cholera? I think so. It was like like a legit, like, Oregon Trail type death. Yeah. (laughs) I thought about the Oregon Trail, like, dysentery. and Yeah. yeah. It's just hard to imagine. And then, like, living there and then, yeah, seeing the town go from, like, a few hundred people to, like, thousands. Like, just, like, must have been kind of surreal. And then you wonder, like, if life would change could change that much like in our lifetimes like demographically at least like people aren't moving around like that at that time period but like maybe well, we just ways. don't have the space right we have space literal space <laughs> <laughs> maybe we'll okay. be on the moon so, we'll, we'll, that'll be the yeah. thing too. but i think one of the takeaways i think i remember david mccauley saying this too a while back was just like how harsh life was on the frontier when you think about like what they had to go through and then you know life and like the world can seem pretty crazy and maybe it is in a lot of ways like what you hear in the news even though we're get you know take in more news than like any other generation just because it's like everywhere but but just as far as like direct experience in terms of what people go through like it uh yeah it seemed pretty tough back then (laughs) yeah yeah and i think that's very interesting because like people always think like oh it was better 10 years ago or it was better when i was a kid you know be you know like the whole like make america great again like people always think about like the again what the longing for the for the mythical past you know it's uh it, it's like tense there's a trend in humans to believe that the current state of things isn't as good as it used to be but only in the last like maybe like 50 60 years because like like you said if, if people if people were to ask uh, you know, the average person, like, oh, is it better now or in 1800? They would clearly say now. But if they say, are things better now or when you were a kid, they would almost always say when I was a kid. Yeah, there are so many factors to compare life quality on as well. And yeah, if you were like a baby boomer and you had like, maybe someone argue more opportunities or like, like more affordable quality of life than like, you could have harken back to those times a few decades ago. But like, if you're someone who thinks like, yeah, a few centuries ago, life was better. Like clearly it was a lot harder. <laughs> right. Right. Yes. Right. No, which I, I just think that's interesting because you're right. Like I think people will readily admit that a few centuries ago, life was pretty much harder than it is now. But then they, then they think like, Oh, like, Oh, so much. You could, you could leave your doors unlocked when I was a kid and you just roam <laughs> the streets and all this stuff. It's, it doesn't mean we're worse now than we were. I mean, like, I think it, it wasn't like Steven Pinker that said that as well, that like well, crime has never been lower than in these last, you know, decade or whatever. But for whatever reason, like like all the metrics you measure society by, it's never been better. And right. But people don't always feel that. It's hard to measure. And I don't think it's a straight line as far as like, you know, you get setbacks to like more mental health issues caused by like social media or something like as an example. But yeah, overall by like life measures, things have gotten way better across the world, you know, 
throughout the world. And also, that reminds me of that movie Midnight in Paris, which you've probably seen, where uh, great Owen Wilson performs, by the way, and Rachel McAdams. But uh, the whole idea, spoiler alert, is about like romanticizing other eras where he like gets transported in time to the Roaring Twenties. And then, like, towards the end, like, the people he's hanging out with, like, Hemingway or whoever, like, they actually think, like, the late, not him specifically, but, like, you know, people he's associated with in the 1920s think this other era is, like, actually the golden era or, like, best time to be alive. So it's, like, everyone probably can romanticize or, like, hold in their mind's eye, like, this perfect time. But, like, yeah, there is something, like, in human psychology that that's just some phenomenon, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, it's very interesting. But I am, I for one, am glad I am living here and now, you know? 60s, man. That was the time. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> Last thing I'll say about that, it's like people hearkening back to like their childhood era. It's like, well, maybe you just enjoy being a child and like not having responsibilities. So like life was good based on that, right? <laughs> like, right. And I think that it, I think that is a very strong um uh reason why people think that yeah that oh yeah of course things were better when when i was a kid i didn't have to pay you know taxes or i didn't have to worry about grocery shopping and planning my next meal and all this other stuff right it's more simple yeah but um yeah anything else i mean what what didn't you like about the book i guess we kind of discussed that a little little textbooky and and kind of like a lot of different characters to keep them to keep in your head and and just yeah yeah i just again more like narrative arc or like story wise it could have been stronger and a little less into the tedium but maybe that's just the nature of like a history historical nonfiction that more people would enjoy so what do do you think yeah yeah i mean i think that's just it like maybe maybe it's just like the really old historical fiction just doesn't resonate with me and i can read stuff about that's happened in the 20th century and i find it interesting to a point because i feel like there's also more contemporary contemporaneous uh resources for the authors to use to kind of flesh out a more detailed story so they can have it be more narrative in in form you know something that's taken place 200 years ago or more um you're really just limited to like letters and you know, newspaper clippings and that kind of stuff, which maybe make it harder to to take that narrative leap. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's it's really a skill, I think, to be able to effectively synthesize like all these different things, because it, it takes a lot of like discipline to decide what you're going to keep in and what you're going to keep out. Like there, you covered like 100 some years of history, like you're going to have to make some tough decisions as far as how you present it. Right. Yeah. Right. That's a good point. Yeah. And I just, I, and so like, yeah, I'm, I mean, maybe I think my next couple of nonfiction picks, I think, I think basically it's going to be a while before I pick another nonfiction or historical nonfiction for my. You're over pick. history now. You don't want to learn anymore about <laughs> the past. <laughs> I'm post history, man. Yeah. The future. <laughs> Those who don't AI, learn from history are doomed to repeat it. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> I don't know if you heard that before. Yeah. <laughs> just came up with it. <laughs> no i think i'm the same i'm a little bit like you know if i want to learn about the history and stuff maybe but yeah i might be a minute before i pick up one of these books again yeah it's, and it's, it's a little disappointing for me too because this was a book i felt like would be right up my alley um about being you know, about ohio you know frontiers life is kind of like intrigues me but like 
it still was is um, a little lackluster. I mean, maybe like I was busy in my personal life and I you know, didn't read this very fast or, you know, there were days when I would play online chess instead of read or something just because I didn't feel like picking up this book. So, um, you know, maybe that had something to do with it as well. Maybe I had other things going on where I couldn't uh, fully uh, give this book the attention it deserves. But um, did you oh, did you uh, read it a hard hard copy or did you listen to it? I tried reading and then I switched the audiobook just uh, <laughs> help get through it. Yeah. What about you? Well, yeah, I actually did the same. I I read like the first five chapters or so, and then I I saw that the audiobook was available in the Libby app through my local library, so I got the audiobook. And then what I was doing, then I did to help me focus. I listened to the audiobook while skimming the pages so help me stay focused sit down and knock out the the last four chapters or so or five chapters or whatever but um but one thing i liked about the physical book was that there were uh oil paintings he had pictures of oil paintings of the main characters he talked about little sketches of the city hall uh where the continental congress passed the northwest ordinance and like the 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 inner the mouth of the Muskingum River where it meets the Ohio it had a nice painting of all the ships on the Ohio River at um so I thought it was kind of cool to see all the pictures but um yeah so I just yep. wanted to add that here. I'll, I'll need to leaf through that and uh I don't think I saw enough of those but yeah I'll go back and check that out I saw the yeah. hard copy yeah but what but, would uh Manasseh Cutler think if he just heard you're too busy playing chess to read about this uh, important history that uh, he held. <laughs> I think Manasseh Cutler would, would think that would be fine. Use of my <laughs> uh, brain power. Okay. I mean, there were days there were days I was just scrolling Twitter, too, instead of reading. Now, yeah. I don't want to freely admit that. I it, it sounds much better if I'm playing online chess than scrolling doom scrolling Twitter. But you mean X? <laughs> Oh, X, that's right. Excuse me. <laughs> yeah, X. That's a whole but, other thing, yeah. That's a whole other yeah. thing. But so, yeah, so I am I am just as guilty as mindlessly scrolling, scrolling on my phone at 10 o'clock at night because it's not quite ready. I'm not quite ready to go to bed, but I'm not. It's too late to start a movie. So, like, what do I do? I just like that. So, yeah, I, I'm just as, our, just as culpable as anybody else. Yeah, our forefathers fought for this right to uh, mindlessly scroll. <laughs> I, yeah. I do as well. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah. We all do. But anyway, but I think, I, you know, like at the end of the day, I'm glad I read it. It was on my to-read list for a while. Um, and I figured I'd make you suffer through it as well. But you ready <laughs> yeah. for rating time? Let's do it, yeah. You want right. to go first or me? I'll go first. I'm going to give it a two. Ooh, okay. And any other comments or what you would do differently or anything like that? Um. I mean, I think David McCullough research, researched the hell out of this book. I think he did a great job. Um, but, like, it just, just it, you know, so much of art, not just books, but movies. And, you know, maybe if you go to an art exhibit on one day, different things might speak to you than if you went another day. You know, and, and I think that's the thing is, like, just this summer, I've had a lot going on. It was, like, you know, kind of a chore to read this book. Um and, you know, maybe if I would have read it in like some winter where I didn't have much else going on, maybe I would have liked it more, you know, but um, nah, I, I just it's just a two. That makes me think like maybe this is profound. I feel like it is, uh, <laughs> you know, relationships are all about timing. 
and your relationship to a book is all about the timing in your life when you read it. So, like, if you were to just move to, like, Marietta and you read this book that talked largely about, like, the history of Marietta, then, like, you'd probably have a different relationship and appreciation for that book than someone who's just, like, yeah, really busy and going through a lot of things that aren't that related to... So, yeah, I think the timing of when you read something makes a big difference. No, absolutely. I I mean, I still remember, like, certain movies that I saw for the first time, uh, like, my experience seeing them for the first time or or, like, some books that I really loved. I remember like, you know, reading them in my bed and some evenings uh, because I just wanted to see what happens, you know? So, you know, you have those moments with certain pieces of uh, literature or movies or art of some sort. So I think it's, it's important to hold on to those when you have them. And suppose it's also important to acknowledge that sometimes, you know, the timing of you in a book or a movie just don't like quite line up. Right. Yeah, be like, it's not you, it's me. It's, uh, you know, <laughs> your perfectly fine book. I'm just it's, not ready to, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, basically, it's just my long way of saying that if David McCullough, for, happen, for whatever reason, happens to listen to this podcast, I don't want him to take it personally that I didn't like the book. <laughs> he's dead now. <laughs> no, he's he not. Is he? Yeah, he did. Oh, no, he did. He just died this year, didn't he? Or last year? <laughs> if, yeah. Yeah, he died last year. That's what it was. Okay. How about David McCullough's children? If David McCullough's okay. children happen to listen to this podcast, I don't want them to take it personally that I didn't like this one book. I'm sure he's a titan in American history nonfiction, so there's yeah. no denying that. Definitely. Well-regarded, well-respected. I think what he was trying to convey with the book was is admirable as far as, like, the effort and everything that went into developing a, a country. And, um, yeah, I, I think my rating would be a three. Um, I was between two and a three, I think, for everything we discussed. But I liked all the shout-outs, like the Johnny Appleseed thing, the Marie Antoinette thing. Like, I like the sociological stuff, like people depicting life at that time. Um and just in general, seeing life changing and evolving in that time period. Um, obviously, we covered the critiques already, so I won't get into that. But yeah, I think three is uh, is fair. Yeah, so, good. Yeah. All not right. So time. moving on. What? What's that? Not not a waste of time for me. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah. What's good. next? Well, next is your pick, Tim. Do you remember? Which is "Anxious People" by Friedrich Bachmann. Yes. Number forty-nine. The, no, isn't this number fifty? Oh, sorry, fifty. And then the and then we do our fiftieth, uh, you know. Yeah, fifty fifty book review. Gonna be big. Oh my goodness, yes. So, if you want to see all the fifty books we've done, go to our website twoguysonebook.com. It's all spelled out, all in letters. Twoguysonebook.com. You can see the past books we've done. You can see the books that we already have coming. Or no, I think after our fiftieth anniversary, fifty book episode, we haven't picked books beyond that yet. But maybe we should post some. Yeah, so feel free to comment on our website. Let us know what you think. But um, I think we're good here, right, Tim? Yep, all good. All right, so until next time. Keep reading. Keep reading. All right.